Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys about the Mongo murders. So pour some fire department coffee and let's dive in. This episode is a case suggestion from Joe R. So thank you, Joe, for this suggestion. 59-year-old Terry Anderson and 57-year-old Darlene Anderson were living in Mongo, Indiana in 2005. Terry was described as a Navy veteran and an avid outdoorsman. He loved to fish, hunt, and just really do anything outside. And at the time of our story in 2005, he was working for a tree service called Esplund. Sorry if I butchered that name, but he was a supervisor there. And Darlene was described as quiet and reserved. She loved to go to garage sales and to a bunch of estate sales in the area. She loved to play piano. Terry's daughter and Darlene's stepdaughter, Sherry Musilek, talked a lot about Terry and Darlene and their their hobbies. Sherry said that she would go to a lot of the garage sales and estate sales with Darlene and she never understood how somebody could shop so much but Darlene just never got tired of searching for old items. At the time of our story Darlene was working at Kraft Foods and she had worked there for many years and was getting ready to retire in a few years. On the evening of October 21st, 2005, Darlene and Terry were at their house when someone came into their home and brutally beat them to death. Terry had been out in his pole barn working when the assailant arrived and attacked him. And Darlene was in their house sitting on the couch eating popcorn and watching TV. There was also a report that she had a book in her hand, so she was probably could have been multitasking. I do it all the time. <laughs> the next morning on October 22nd, about 721 in the morning, Sherry's half-sister, Amanda, shows up to pick her dad, Terry, up for work. They were both working at the same tree service, and they typically rode together. When she got there, she just walked right into the house like she typically did and saw Darlene's body on the couch. She originally thought that Darlene had been shot and stated that to the police when she had called the crime in. The autopsy later determined that Terry and Darlene had been beaten to death with a hatchet or something similar to a hatchet. There were no defensive injuries that had been noted on the autopsy. It was noted that they believed Terry and Darlene probably knew their attacker. They both seemed to be in a very comfortable position. So Terry had his back turned and had been hit from behind. And Darlene had been propped up with her legs propped up on the table, just relaxing and watching TV. And she would have seen whoever the attacker was come into the living room when they attacked. And another thing that Sherry noted was that her dad's bull mastiff, Rocco, was tied up to the entrance of the barn and she said that if a stranger would have approached the property then Rocco would have barked and alerted them 
She also said that her grandmother lives right by her dad's house. And she did not hear any barking from the dog. And whenever Rocco would bark, she would be able to hear commotion. So it is reported that Rocco did not react. So it's led to believe that both, like I said, Darlene and Terry probably knew their assailant and they had probably been at the house prior. So not trying to get ahead of you, but did they have any enemies or somebody who would want to harm them? Not really. Um, Honestly, I only have one suspect that I'm going to go into in a little bit. Honestly, he wasn't even really an enemy, but they were described, you know, as loving people. They they were kind of described as like homebodies. Like Terry really just, like I said, loved to be outside in the, the wilderness. And Darlene wanted to go shopping and stuff, but she was she was pretty quiet and kept to herself. So no enemies that were reported. Amanda then calls her sister Sherry, who at the time is living in Chicago, and tells her, hey, something's happened to Darlene and Terry. Like, you need to come home. So Sherry very quickly grabs her husband, Eric, and their two-year-old son and starts coming to Mongo. And by the time she gets there, police are surrounding the area. Like, they couldn't even park on the property. They had to park off the property because there's no space. And Sherry, while she was on the way there, only knew about what had happened to Darlene. She didn't know that her father was also deceased at that time because Amanda had not seen him as he was in the pole barn. When they get there, Sherry's husband, Eric, walks up to the house and is, like, talking with police and detectives and Amanda, and Sherry stays back in the car with her two-year-old son. Well, one of the cops eventually comes to talk with Sherry at the car and tells her, you know, I have your father's wallet here. Your father is deceased as well. And he begins to tell her... Well, and he tells her kind of what happened. You know, he was found in the pole barn. And then over time, they learn that some things were taken from the house. Um, But it's some weird things. So Terry had a 22 rifle that he had with him almost all of the time. That had been taken. A few coins had been taken. A crossbow had been taken. And an old muzzleloader gun had been taken, but none of the jewelry was taken. No, like, real money was taken. Terry's wallet was still there. From what I understand, Darlene's purse was still there. It it was just some weird things that didn't really make sense. Still potentially valuable items, but it is weird that, like, at least, like, the wallet and purse, like, that's an easy grab. It's... Yeah. I mean, maybe they just didn't want that connection because maybe with the guns they can you know kind of black market sell it and it can't be traced back i don't know but that is interesting it could be traced back well if unless yeah like you said they black market sell it but i mean yeah eventually it could be traced back due to the serial number but still it's less likely than you know taking their credit card and using it yes Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I don't know how much you, like, you could get for the crossbow. Also, it said that the muzzleloader gun had been soldered like 10 times, so it wasn't in great shape. Eric and Sherry do think that whoever took the items knew where they were. 
It didn't look like anybody had, you know, searched for things, which is something else that leads them to believe that the person knew Terry and Darlene and they probably knew the killer. The only person of interest and suspect that ever comes up in this case that I could find was a man named Terry Durbin. So I am going to refer to Terry Durbin the whole time as Terry Durbin, just to clarify. And Terry Anderson, I'll just refer to as Terry. So he's currently in prison for a separate murder and he did what and he was arrested in 2009 for this crime and sentenced to 60 years in prison for murdering a 54-year-old man in Greenville, Ohio. Something else to note about this is he did have an accomplice in that murder and it was 19-year-old David Meisner. So both of them are serving time in prison. Now, was the crime similar? To the one that happened? It was originally ruled like a suspicious death. He was found in his vehicle. And then they ended up determining that it was actually murder. So... How how was he murdered, though? Because it sounds like this, you know, this crime was pretty violent. So that's what I was just wondering. So from what I could find, the victim in this case, Patrick Cheadle, was shot in the head and robbed after a drug deal had gone wrong. So Terry was charged with the murder and his accomplice was charged with just assisting and with robbery. So still a violent crime, but not nearly as violent as hatcheting someone to death. I still, Abby, have not figured out the proper verbiage for that word. (laughs) That's what I was just like grinning at when you said hatcheting. I was like, was that? Well, I know we've talked about this in previous cases. I think in the Velisca axe murders, we specifically. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know the proper verb for that, but you guys know what I'm referring to. There might not be a proper verb for it. Maybe it's just they committed. Well, I don't know. I think hatcheting is what we're going to stick with. So the reason that Terry Durbin came up as a potential suspect in this case had nothing to do with the other murder, as like I'd said, that happened afterwards. It is just kind of suspicious that he did murder somebody else and was able to be convicted for it. But Terry Durbin did work with Terry and his daughter, Amanda, at the tree company. So they did know each other. They were described as work friends, but not much interaction outside of work. And they weren't described as, like, close friends. But would he have known where they lived and maybe where their guns were? He did know where they live. Where they lived. Well, what about what about the guns, though? I'm going to go into it and we'll see what you think. Because I think it's possible. So, first off, I want to say that it's believed that there was an argument between Terry Durbin and Terry Anderson. Where they were arguing about somebody owing the other person money. I couldn't find who owed who money, but there was a reported argument that had been seen by other people. So before I get into the specifics of how I think Terry Durbin would have known where they lived and known about the guns, I've got a few more things that I need to talk about, but we will get there. So the first thing I want to mention is that a friend of the Andersons, whose name is Tom Christian, doesn't think that Terry would have committed the crime. He said that he didn't know Terry Durbin personally, but knew of him and just didn't feel like that was the correct suspect. They felt like, well, Tom Christian thought that police were trying to pin something on Terry Durbin, that they had done what we've seen a thousand times and found the suspect prior to finding any evidence to lead to the suspect. 
something else Terry Durbin refuses to talk about about this crime with police. And prosecutor Greg Kenner said that they had enough evidence that points to it being Terry Durbin, but they don't have enough evidence to convict him at this time. So they're still trying to gather evidence before attempting to take him to court. Something that I found was interesting is Terry Durbin has actually been communicating with ABC 57 in the form of letters. So they've been writing back and forth. The link to this will obviously be in our sources, um, but this is all coming from ABC 57 at this point. So in his first letter to them, he said that he volunteered a DNA and lie detector test to occur. And I, I couldn't find if that was actually something that he had agreed to. The only thing I could find is that he was refusing to talk to police. He did say that his potential involvement in the murders was gossip and not true. And then he also said that police or that investigators just don't know where to go with the investigation. And he wants to clear up the rumors, which is why he was writing them. But he also said that he feels like police stating that he was involved in this murder influenced his trial in 2010 for the 2009 murder of Patrick, which is absolutely possible. He did write a second letter to ABC 57 and this one he started to make some demands. So he demanded that they pay his daughter $5,000 in cash and then he would do an interview with them in person. I think the obvious here is, of course, he'll do an interview for money. But I got to ask, his prior conviction, he said that this influenced it. Was there doubt that he had convicted or that he was responsible for that? I mean, in theory, there was no reasonable doubt. But you know what I mean? For the murder of Patrick? Yeah. From what I could find, no. But I'm going to be honest. I didn't do a whole lot of research into that one. Um, Not as much as I put into Terry and Darlene's murders. But I didn't. And there honestly wasn't many articles. I only found a couple. And I pulled from two different articles about the murder of Patrick. But I didn't see anything about there being any question about whether or not he was guilty. So... In that second letter, as well as the demand for the $5,000, he tells ABC 57 that the last time he saw Terry and Darlene was when he had gone to their house with his ex-wife and his three children, and they grilled out and rode ATVs. So he, according to this, had been to the house. Now, whether or not he knew where the guns are and the crossbow that had been taken is unknown but it is very much a thing of an outdoorsy guy who's very into his guns and his weapons to show them to a friend when they come over to the house so i could see that coming up you know they're grilling out they're hanging out outside i could see terry anderson telling terry durbin durbin you know come out to my barn or come into this room of my house and i'm going to show you some of my really cool weapons that i really like or something like that you know The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, 
help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Yeah, it certainly gives the indication that he at least maybe knew the lay of the land and could have made his way around the house. And clearly, um, they would have been comfortable enough to let him in and not react to him being there then. Correct. And something that I don't think I mentioned earlier, they were believed to have been murdered around 8 p.m. And it was 7, I know I said it was 721 when Amanda showed up at the house to pick up her dad. But that gives almost a 12-hour period where whoever had been at the house could have been in and out and gathered whatever they wanted. Now, ABC 57, after getting this letter from Terry Durbin, decided to reach out to his ex-wife and ask her if this claim was true about the grilling out and the ATVs. And she says, no, that's not true. She then then tells them, we've been to their house a couple times, but we've never taken the kids over there. So I'm not sure if he's just mixing up his stories or if she's saying something different for some reason, or I'm, I'm not sure what they're trying to get out there necessarily, but I thought that was interesting that one of them is lying in this situation. Yeah, um, I, I don't quite, well, my first instinct is that he's just trying to get some attention because he's in prison. And so he's making it seem more than it is. And he's trying to get some money out of it, clearly. That's my first instinct on that situation. Okay, I would agree. Terry Durbin's ex-wife also said that at the time of the murders, they were separated, but they were still in communication. So they'd been talking. And she does tell ABC 57 that at the time of the murders and shortly after, Terry, Terry Durbin started acting really weird. So he switched cars with a friend of his and then started doing drugs. What a weird thing to just switch cars with your friend. Do they like buy each other's car? Like what? I I don't know. This is literally the quote that I have is that he switched cars with a friend. And that's from Terry's ex. What a strange thing. (laughs) It is. It is strange. Although you covered one case that the guy like buried his van, didn't he? Like Um, it could have just been a. It was forensic, like a forensic countermeasure. Yeah. Well, no, it was like this. I can't even remember the case at the moment, but it was this. Um, it was the kind of known mobster man. guy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the Richard Kuklinski one. Yeah, that one. But like this dude had buried his van or he said he just buried cars he didn't want anymore. Not sure what that's about, but definitely an odd thing to do. Well, yeah, but so, I mean, this could be the same thing, you know, if he had murdered them and had any sort of evidence on him and then it's like, oh, switch cars with me, friend, so that they don't, if they do investigate my car at some point, they won't see evidence. And I mean it as weird. The transaction of that's weird. It's not weird for him wanting to get rid of the evidence, obviously. It's weird that his friend would be like, all right, let's switch cars. Like, that's like, if I was just like, hey, Erica, you want to switch cars? that's a weird thing to okay but wait if i said hey abby do you want to switch cars no it's still just weird no i didn't know if you were just like let's switch that seems odd to me but maybe that's just me maybe that's a normal thing y'all let us know i don't think i'd switch cars with a friend of mine necessarily although i really don't know that i like my car currently so maybe but i'd have to like the car that i was switching it for like it'd have to be a good deal on my end you know Terry Durbin's ex-wife does tell ABC 57 that her husband, her ex-husband had been jealous of Terry Anderson and she believes that he did murder Terry and Darlene, but that he would have had help if he had done it. Something that I found was interesting is later on, Unsolved Murders actually offered to feature this on their show. 
and to cover the case, but the sheriff's office in LaGrange County declined to participate, and so the show never ended up happening, which I thought was really interesting. interesting. Mm -hmm. A sad note is in June of 2014, their daughter, Amanda Anderson, at 29 years old, was at home, and she did end up collapsing, and she did pass away at a very young age. The cause of death wasn't released at this point. So Amanda may never really have answers. Although this is something that I've been thinking about as Abby and I have been recording today. You know, I believe that if you're murdered or once you die, you have recollection of your life, right? That you just lived. So I believe that Terry and Darlene know who their killer is. And that potentially Amanda was reunited with them and now she knows. And so in her afterlife, if you believe in that or not, she did get answers. But I've just always seen it that way that, you know, once, I mean, if you do die from a murder, you do know what happened. And then it's up to the people in your life and the people in positions of detectives and stuff to figure it out for an earthly answer. I mean, that's certainly a positive way to look at it. I can't say it's probably the same for everyone. No, I'm um, assuming not everybody agrees with me. That's just how that's just how I've always thought about it. I would love to think of it that way. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, which this is obviously a whole different conversation. But afterlife and answers and honestly, it might be interesting to kind of, which we've touched on cases where there's like, potentially like a psychic involved or what have you or something where it's like this I don't know if, and I'm not even saying religion just some type of otherworldly connection or spiritual presence or something similar it's nice to think that maybe there's something like that that is either helping out or bringing closure um but we just I mean in all honesty we don't know um but that is like that's a very nice way to look at it Prosecutor Greg Kenner, the one that we talked about earlier, who said that, you know, they have enough evidence pointing to him, but not enough to convict, did make this statement, which I wanted to put in here because I feel like it's important. He said that he doesn't want to convict the wrong person. And he also said, once again, he doesn't have enough evidence to file. But I appreciate this comment that he doesn't want to convict the wrong person because we've seen it so many times where prosecution or detectives or lawyers or whatever just want to close the case. So they're, you know, slightly okay with convicting the wrong person or convicting the person that they think did it just with a little bit of doubt, you know? So I appreciate that he did say, you know, I just, I don't want to convict the the wrong person because... Obviously, that's not the way to go about it. Sherry, Terry and Darlene's daughter, Sherry, does hold a vigil every year in honor of their memory. She does have a Facebook page as well that will also be linked in our sources. She's very active and constantly posting about about her family, you know, like the anniversary of the death, their birthdays, Father's Day, all kinds of stuff. Um, So if you want to see additional photos of them other than what we're going to put on our social media, their Facebook page is a really good place to check it out. Anyone with any information regarding the murders of Terry and Darlene Anderson is asked to contact the LaGrange County Sheriff's Department at 260-463-7491 or you can call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-342-7867. And I am going to end this with a quote. I apologize, Abby. <laughs> this is a quote. Of course you are. <laughs> this is a quote coming from... 
Sherry. And she says, quote, Darlene was a sweet woman and my dad was a great guy. A cross between Jerry Garcia and Santa Claus. I miss them. We just want, no, we need answers. We need to bring this to an end. End quote. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.